From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Crash Connell, Mary Danielson in the room. It is Thursday, a fresh new podcast, Thursday, October 19, 2023, and I was operations manager and producer of this broadcast, I will say, if you believe that your denomination can save you from hell, you probably don't want to listen to today's podcast. (laughs) (laughs) And it's uh, one of our favorite guests are back, Mary. Let's get underway. Yes. uh, Welcome to Thursday. The weeks are flying by. It's like someone has their foot on the accelerator, time-wise, prophecy-wise, in every way. And so we have to make the most of the time because the days are evil. My guest today is Mike Gendron. Mike and I have something in common. We came out of the church of our youth around the same time and into the light of the true gospel. So we're going to talk about that in just a few minutes and a whole lot more. I have a scripture this morning that I'd like to read, and then uh, we can pray together. First John 3, 1-3. to Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. Boy, that's a loaded passage. Won't you pray with me this morning? Oh, Lord, what we could not do for ourselves, you did for us, and we are eternally grateful. Help us to be mindful daily of your provision and the sanctifying work of your Spirit. We ask for open doors and opportunities to bring the good news of the gospel to as many as possible while there is still time. Please walk among us today. Lord, give us patience and wisdom uh, for all that we face. We lift Mike up to you and thank you for his testimony, um, testimony to the truth and for his courage to contend earnestly for the faith delivered unto the saints. Continue to use him, Lord. Protect his health and his loved ones. And we pray, above all, that our conversation would be fruitful and minister to anyone who needs to hear the words of life today. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, Mike Gendron is my guest. Welcome. We are welcoming him back to the podcast. Uh, Mike is uh, Proclaiming the Gospel Ministries. He's an evangelist and author of Contending for the Gospel and Preparing for Eternity. Mike was a devout Roman Catholic for over 30 years, but that changed in 1981 while attending an evangelical seminar when he realized the Bible is the supreme authority for knowing the truth. Uh, the site is proclaimingthegospel.org. And it has many resources to equip and encourage Christians to be effective witnesses to Roman Catholics. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. So good to be back with you. Yes, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Now, you mentioned to me yesterday uh, that you had to cut an Israel trip short. What can you tell us about that? Did you get all the way over there? What exactly happened with that? Yes, we took a group of saints over to walk in the footsteps of Paul and then also to go into Jerusalem and also the Sea of Galilee. And originally the cruise ship had us going into Israel first and then doing the footsteps of Paul. But for some reason, we don't know why, they changed the itinerary. Mm. So we did the footsteps of Paul first and Israel second. Well, in the providence of God, that saved us from 
the bombing that took place because we were supposed to be in Israel when the bombing took place on that Saturday and Sunday. So we just uh, marvel at God's providence, how he protected us. And so we were disappointed that we didn't get to see Israel, Mm -hmm. but we were thankful that we were saved from any of the holocaust that was going on over there it was really heartbreaking well yeah that is god's hand and i think there are still tourists over there do you know offhand if we're if they've all come home or if there's still some tour groups over there yeah they're still trying to get out some of them are having to go into jordan to get a flight back i understand a cruise ship came in and took some of the passengers away some of the um, pilgrims away so yeah they're still trying to get out wow well, did you find that it was busy with tourists? Because usually fall is when I would always go, and it was very busy all the years that I went. Yeah, this was my seventh trip, and mm-hmm. October is the best month of the year to go mm-hmm. because the weather was just perfect. It was a 13-day cruise, and it was just bright, sunny days, no rain at all, so we thank the Lord mm-hmm. for that as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fall is beautiful over there. That's when I've always gone. Well, we're glad you're home safe, and we're praying, of course, that everyone uh, who needs to get home will get home very, very soon. Um, Mike, uh, as I said earlier, we both became awakened to uh, this religious system, global religious system, around the same time in 1981. What happened at that time, uh, having been a Catholic, that caused you to engage in some critical thinking about it? Was there some a specific eye-opening event or revelation from the Lord to you? Yeah, Mary, I've come to find out that the very nature of deception is that people never know they're deceived until mm-hmm. they're confronted with the truth. Mm-hmm. So you and I both believe we belong to the one true church until we were confronted by the truth of Scripture. And it was in 1981 that I began reading the Bible for the first time. And I did have a crisis of faith because what I was reading was diametrically opposed to the plan of salvation that the Catholic Church Mm -hmm. had indoctrinated me with. And so what do you do? Well, I called my uncle, who was a priest, and he pacified me for a while. But the more I read, the more I realized there's no way to reconcile God's plan of salvation, Mm -hmm. the glorious gospel of grace, with the plan of salvation in the Mm -hmm. Catholic Church. So it was then that um, God granted me repentance. I changed from believing the false way. I got off the wide road that led to destruction and got on the narrow way that leads to life. And I believe the glorious gospel of grace. I, I read that I had been blinded by the God of this world. I could not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So it was a supernatural event mm-hmm. when God opened my eyes and gave me the gift of faith literally turned my life upside down, and I quickly realized that the only two things in this life that are eternal are the souls of men and the Word of God, and I wanted to invest the rest Mm -hmm. of my life in the two things that would last throughout all eternity. Mm -hmm. Wow, praise the Lord. Yeah, uh, for me it was radical. I, I fought it, though. I was so devout as a Catholic, I fought it for about a year. I just didn't believe that. I I was so stuck in a Pharisee loop, and I didn't really believe it or want to believe it that I had been wrong, um, and that my parents were wrong and their parents were wrong. It just I just had a hard time with that. But once it happened, it happened fast. So praise the Lord. We praise the Lord for your testimony. And Mike, I'm fascinated when Protestants say that uh, Catholics don't need to be saved. And I've heard this from born again believers because they already say, "Well, Jesus is the Son of God, and He died for our sins." But there are a lot of people around the world, including us, who would testify otherwise. So, you know, how can anyone understand the true gospel and not have some internal conflict about 
Rome. What do you say to those who think that Catholics aren't in need of a gospel as it pertains to salvation? Is you know, are they assuming that that Catholics all understand the gospel? Well, the Catholics do not have the gospel. Mm-hmm. They've got a distortion of the mm-hmm. gospel. And there's a warning in the Bible, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. If anyone comes preaching a gospel other than the one Paul preached, they are to be accursed, which is to be turned over to God for destruction. So the Catholic clergy teaches a distorted gospel. They have added many requirements to the gospel of grace. And grace is the only means by which God saves sinners. Paul said, if you add anything to it, it's no longer grace. And so that's the reason we have a ministry outreach to Roman Catholics, because they need to hear the gospel. And the Reformers spoke of the five solas, because today you will talk to Catholics, and they will say they are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. But the key word that's left out is grace alone, Mm -hmm. through faith alone, and Christ alone. And that's what the Reformers cried out, the five solas, that we are saved for the glory of God alone and according to Scripture alone. And so when you witness to Roman Catholics, you must call them to repent of all the things they are doing and trust what Christ has done alone. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets to be difficult for Catholics, because they've been indoctrinated all of their life, that they need to be baptized for justification. Justification and regeneration are said to be the fruit of water baptism. And then they have to receive the sacraments. They have to do good works in order to be justified. They also have to obey the law, and that puts them under a curse. And Mm -hmm. so all these additions to the gospel have left uh, the Catholic clergy under divine condemnation. And so that's why we have to reach into the Catholic Church and be a witness of the true gospel mm-hmm. of our Lord Jesus Christ to Catholics who have never heard it. Yes, and we um, we have Reformation Day is coming up, uh, October 31st. So I think the number is 506 years uh, since the Reformation. Uh, That's right. October 31st, mm-hmm. 1517, was when Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the church door in Wittenberg. Yes. And it was really a protest against the selling of God's grace through indulgences. And, of course, the Roman Catholic Church still does that today. And we have to recognize that Martin Luther... And the Reformers only began the Reformation. It's still going on today. Mm-hmm. We still need to mm-hmm. be contending earnestly for the purity and the exclusivity of the gospel. And you know, Mary, Martin Luther gave all the credit to God. He said, All I have done is put forth, preach, and write the Word of God. And apart from this, I have done nothing. The Word has achieved everything. Mm-hmm. And that's true in your salvation and my salvation. The Word of God and the Spirit of God did everything. Yes. Well, that is absolutely true. And you mentioned earlier these five solas um, that came out of the Reformation. And I'm just going to let people know what those are. Uh, sola Scriptura is uh, that Scripture is the highest source of authority in faith and practice. Sola Fide is uh, justification through faith alone in Jesus Christ. Sola Gratia. Um, affirms that sinners are saved by God's grace alone. 
Sola Cristo, the exclusive, the exclusivity of Christ's role in salvation. In other words, not Mary, no co-redempting, uh, redemptrix, uh, anything like that. Uh, Sola Deo Gloria, God alone receives all the glory. And, uh, that is absolutely true. If you have come out of that faith, you know, you know that God rescued you. And, and if we needed to be rescued, I, I just look at it logically, Mike. Um, people say, well, they don't need, you know, they're already saved. Catholics are already saved. Well, then why did you and I and so many others, there's a great cloud of witnesses of people who say, no, we needed to come out of Rome. Therefore, everyone needs to come out of Rome who is in Rome, no exception. The gospel is the gospel, and we can't, we can't uh, buck up against that. So, um, Mike, we talked about um, why was it necessary? What, what did the Reformation accomplish? I think we're talking about bringing the Bible into the everyday person's hands. That was, that's one thing that comes to mind right away. Well, sure, and that was probably one of the most important parts of the Reformation. It returned the Bible to the people in their own language. Mm-hmm. Uh, we visited the Warburg Castle in Germany where Martin Luther hit out translating the Bible into German. And not only did the Reformation accomplish that, but it reestablished the Word of God as the supreme authority for faith. The Catholic Church has three authorities. They have their infallible popes, and they have their sacred tradition. They are all said to be equal, but in actual practice, it's the bishops that sit above Scripture and tradition, and they do a marvelous job of twisting and distorting Scripture so that it conforms to their tradition. Mm -hmm. So the Reformation reestablished Sola Scriptura, the supreme authority of Scripture. It also reestablished the Lord Jesus as the only head of his church. Mm. And of course that um, did away with the papacy because Christ is the only one who died for his church. He shed his blood for his church, and how dare the papacy declare itself to be the head of the church. Mm-hmm. And it also rediscovered the biblical doctrine of justification by grace alone through faith alone. And Martin Luther and the Reformers recognized that justification is the very doctrine that opens and closes the gates of heaven. If you get justification wrong, you cannot get the gospel mm-hmm. right. And if you get justification wrong, you cannot be right with God. Mm. So it's a very critical element of the gospel. And the Roman Catholic Church today has an opposing view of of justification. We know from the scriptures that justification changes one's legal status before God, whereby a condemned sinner has been acquitted and declared righteous. We see that in Romans 5, but the Catholic Church says no Roman... Rome says justification changes the inner man, not his legal status. Mm. And we know justification is instantaneous. Mm-hmm. When the gavel comes down from the holy judge in heaven, it's instantaneous. But the Catholic Church says no, it's a process, the ongoing renewal of the inner man. And so you can see that we still are miles apart when it comes to the gospel and the doctrine of justification. Mm-hmm. And another thing Catholics don't understand is that that uh, Jesus died for them, not not for the Catholic Church in general. It's not this uh, group 
uh, group justification, you know, not by belonging to it. And I think Catholics really wrestle with that because I remember I being in third grade when it would be uh, Good Friday and we'd have to be silent. My mother would make us children sit in a chair and be silent from 12 to 3 every Good Friday. You know, that that's hard to make the kids not want to do anything. Um, but I remember, I think the Lord was just speaking to my heart, even in the third grade, that it, it was for me. It was an individual um, sacrifice. And, and I remember feeling incredibly, um, like I had, I had gotten a revelation from the Lord as a child. It was just an incredible experience. But I think that, I think they think that be, belonging to that church, more so than other churches, actually is a blanket forgiveness, a blanket justification. And that's a real stumbling block for Catholics. Well, Mary, I'm so glad you brought that up because you and I together, I, I, don't know this, but I'm asking you. I never heard the substitutionary atonement of Christ preached in the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. I knew that Jesus died for the sins of the world. That was history. Mm-hmm. When I found out Jesus died for me, that mm-hmm. was salvation. Yes, yes, absolutely. And I, I, I'll never forget just what the Lord showed me at that tender age. And I, I, I wasn't saved at that time. I don't believe that I was. I wasn't accountable to understand repentance and sin and and the legal transaction that Jesus accomplished on the cross. Uh, but I think it was a, a bit of a deposit for me, you know, for the age of accountability when I would be a little bit older and be able to truly understand the differences. Um, the, the other thing, Mike, is about um, Bibles. We know the Reformers had to have been reading the Scriptures, and this is what caused their hearts to be pierced. Uh, by the differences between Rome and what they were reading in the Scripture. And, and the listener may not know this, but uh, 1382, uh, John Wycliffe uh, felt that the Scriptures needed to be in the in the person's hands in their own language. So he, he really made a start on that um, because he found no scriptural justification for the papacy. He was excommunicated from the Roman Church after his death, but he had a handwritten Bible, the Gutenberg Bible, 1455, the Tyndale Bible, 1525, was considered the first English translation translation of the Hebrew and Greek texts and the first New Testament to be mass-produced. So there were scriptures available, but not widely. But, Mike, when you look at the, the end of the age or the closing of the church age, we're in deep apostasy and we have more Bibles than ever before. Isn't that the strangest thing? Well, it is, and it's really interesting that the Catholic Church put the Bible on the list of forbidden books. Mm-hmm. And I think the reason is, you find it in Second Timothy 2, that we are to pray for those in opposition to the gospel, that God would grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth so they can escape the snare of the devil that holds them captive to do his will. Mm-hmm. And so how is anyone set free from the bondage of deception? Jesus answered that in John 8. He said, if you're truly a disciple of mine, you will abide in my word. Then you will know the truth, and that truth will set you free, Mm -hmm. free from religious deception, free from the bondage of the devil. And so the Catholic Church recognized that people were being set free. And so they put the Bible on the list of forbidden books, and they dared to say, if you had a Bible in your possession, you could not have your sins forgiven until you returned the Bible to the Church. And so the Catholic Church has recognized that they can no longer forbid the Bible Mm -hmm. to be in use by its people, and so even today many Catholics are being set free. Yeah, oh, praise the Lord. As, As a youth, I remember the priest saying, don't read it because you won't understand it. 
Uh, right. So that was just a blanket dismissal. But my, when I would talk to my family about the Lord and help them to see this falsehood, they would just eventually, they'd listen briefly, and then they would shut me down by saying, well, we don't believe the Bible is the Word of God. Well, how convenient is that? Because that's now my source of truth to, to show you and explain to you um, how to think outside that Catholic box. But my, my dad would always say, well, it was good enough for my parents, so it's good enough for me, and I'm just going to die in my Catholicism. And that, that broke my heart. Um, and then my mom, who was raised, uh, she would have been a child in the 20s and 30s, she said they were never to walk on the same side of the street as a Protestant church. If they came upon a Protestant church, they'd have to cross the street. <sighs> you know, so there's just been a lot of strange uh, teachings over the years, and that's definitely one of the strangest. Right. Which is more the reason why we need to recognize that the Roman Catholic Church is a mission field. Mm -hmm. Most evangelicals today are confused because we have evangelical leaders signing unity accords, daring to say that we share common faith in the gospel with Catholics. Mm -hmm. And so this has confused so many Christians. They don't know if they should witness to Catholics or welcome them as brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's why our ministry not only seeks to equip the body of Christ to effectively witness to Catholics, but it's also encouraging evangelicals to contend earnestly for the faith. Yes, absolutely. Um, You know, I I had a post-postmodern thought the other day about the emergent church. You know, that crept into evangelicalism in the 90s. And, you know, I think the broader context was uh, a backdoor from Rome to bring mysticism and the Eucharist and experience over truth to our youth. I think this is that that context of that paradigm, because Willow Creek and others, um, especially Willow Creek, they welcomed Catholics into their pulpit. They had a Sunday night Catholic service. I think they thought it was hip and cool. I have I have no idea. Um, what's your take on the emergent church? Do you, do you believe that that was really just an ecumenical outreach, or, or what, what do you think about that? Well, sure. It was definitely a, a compromise of the gospel, and that's unfortunate. Today we see a lot of not only emerging churches, but also evangelical churches that are compromising the gospel. Mm-hmm. Many are taking the essentials out of the gospel so they can have a larger following. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, this opens the door for unity with the Catholic Church, because if you take the essentials out, then you can have common ground with Roman Catholics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think in the emergent church too, there were a lot of uh, a lot of this mystic church fathers editions: uh, uh, Teresa of Avila, Thomas Merton, Henry Newman, Ignatius. Those were all. I read a lot of emergent church books by the, all the movers and shakers. Uh, they came out of nowhere, seemingly. Um, and it was just full of all this mysticism, contemplative prayer. I haven't heard as much about it lately. Uh, do, do you feel that the contemplative aspect has remained in evangelicalism? I, like you, I haven't heard much of it either. Mm-hmm. It's probably run its course. Okay. But more than ever, we know that the Catholic Church can never change because its infallible dogmas are in cement. If you change one, the whole system collapses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So your listeners really need to know that the false gospel of Rome rejects the supremacy of God's Word. We've talked about that. It also rejects the sufficiency of God's Son, which is why different things have to be added to the gospel. Mm-hmm. They deny Christ is sufficient. They also deny the sovereignty of God's grace, 
the Roman Catholic Church believes that a priest can replace the sovereignty of God by bringing to life those who are dead in sin through the sacrament of water baptism. We know that from John 3 that to be born again is a sovereign work of God's Spirit. The Catholic Church, Mary, also rejects the severity of God's punishment, and they do that by incorporating the doctrine of purgatory. And I don't know if you've ever studied this, but I call it the trilogy of deception. It all began in the Garden of Eden when Satan told Eve she would not die if she broke God's command. Well, the Catholic Church has taken that first lie of the devil, and they've incorporated that into its dogma of venial sin, daring to say mm. that if you commit venial sins, you will not die. Mm. And so now that you have a place where people don't die, then they come up with purgatory, where these Catholics who die in venial sin go to have their venial sins purged away. Well, now that you have a place for them, now you need a means of getting them out. So they created the lie of indulgences, that is the remission of temporal punishment for sin. So the lie of the devil in the garden is venial sins that produced purgatory, and purgatory produced indulgences. And that was really the spark of the Reformation, the selling of God's grace. I never thought of it in light of that, in light of Genesis, that never considered that uh, you shall not die, and then them adding on to purgatory and indulgences. That that, that was that's sort of a um, that's a real eye opener for me, Mike. Um, also, well, hopefully for your listeners, yeah. too, because in First Timothy four, Paul warns that in latter times some will depart from the faith and follow doctrines of demons. Mm-hmm. Well, there you have it; it's proof. Mm-hmm. Galatians, I mean uh, Genesis three produce the first lie, and that is now perpetuated through the doctrine of venial sins. Well, wow. Someone asked me recently, too, about All Souls Day, um, Day of the Dead, I think it's also called in some places. What That's right after Halloween. What What is, and when I was in uh, Catholicism, you had, it was a holy day of obligation. You had to go to Mass on All Souls Day. What, what was All Souls Day? Well, it actually is the day after Halloween, and Martin Luther strategically placed his 95 Thesis on October 31st because the next day Catholics were going to go into the church in Wittenberg, and they were going to venerate over 1,900 relics in the church because they were granted indulgences for the remission of their sins, by venerating these relics of saints, but they also had to confess their sins to a priest. So a plenary indulgence was granted, and Martin Luther nailed his 95 Thesis to warn the Catholics going in that indulgences is a lie and that you cannot have your sins remitted through indulgences. Mm. 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 Very interesting. So All Souls Day is the day after Reformation Day. I never connected that dot either. So that's that's really, really fascinating. Um, so they had to view the relics and confess their sins, and then that would help get people out of purgatory or shorten their time in purgatory. Is that correct? That's correct. Of course, the Catholic Church won't tell you how long you have to suffer for each sin, right. nor will they tell you how many indulgences must be purchased in order to get you out. 
So Catholics are in spiritual bondage, not only in this life, but also in the next. Because when they die, they still rely on the priest to get them out of this fictitious place called purgatory. Wow. So there is no hope of dying. And you know, the Bible says, you know, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So they have absolutely no hope. We were taught this, that you, everyone went to purgatory. I mean, that's, that is, uh, wow, that's devastating. Or it should be. You're right. But, um, we know this. There's only two destinies when one dies. The saints go to heaven, and those who die without Christ go to hell. There is no middle ground. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of the great verses we can share with Catholics is First John 5.13, where John writes to those who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Mm. Because, as you and I both know, eternal life was never promised in the Catholic Church. All we could look forward to was conditional life. And Mary, that's because whether or not we got to heaven was dependent upon what we did instead of what Christ had done. There can never be assurance when you're trusting what you must do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Wow, we are talking to Mike Gendron, ProclaimingTheGospel.org. My name is Mary Danielson, and you are listening to Stand Up For The Truth for this Thursday. And we're going to take a break. Uh, for a couple of minutes here, but we want to continue to talk about the Reformation, why it was necessary, um, and really bring hope to people who really don't have that hope in Catholicism. Uh, And we're going to talk about some other things. I'm going to ask Mike about the Pope today and uh, um, Catholicism and prophecy. That would be an interesting subject, too. So we're going to talk about several things in our second half. Um, We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you'll stay around uh, for part two. And we... Take some time to subscribe to our newsletter at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Just click the subscribe button. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our truth at any cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth. My name is Mary Danielson, and we are speaking with Mike Gendron today, ProclaimingTheGospel.org. And it's a, it's a wonderful website. There are a lot of uh, ways to equip you to... Um, Understand the gospel and to share the faith, the faith delivered to the saints um, with Catholics. And um, Mike, we want to talk about, I do want to come back a little bit to the Reformation, uh, the, whether it was actually complete or not. I have a question for you about that. But first, we want to talk about witnessing and sharing our faith with Catholic friends. And there will be some opposition sometimes. Sometimes people are tenderhearted and they're wide open, but other times... You know, you do find a bit of a brick wall that centers around the the truth that the scripture is God's word. They have not been taught that. So help me out here, um, Mike. What's the best approach if you can, you know, give us some ideas on how best to witness to our Catholic friends and family? Well, first and foremost, we need to pray. Pray that God would open their hearts and re- restore their sight because we know that the God of this world has blinded them from the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. So prayer is very important. We also, I think more than anything, need to establish the supreme authority of God's Word over their other two authorities, because until you know that the Bible is the supreme authority, you're just going to keep going back to, well, my Pope says this, or our tradition says that. And so establishing the Word of God as the supreme authority, I think Second Timothy 3.16 says it all. All Scripture is inspired Mm -hmm. by God 
and useful for teaching, for reproof, and that means to expose error. And then once error has been exposed, Scripture is used for correcting that error and for training in righteousness. So using the Word of God as the supreme authority is so important. Number three, establish the sufficiency of our Lord Jesus Christ. Catholics will be unwilling to let go of what they're doing to save themselves until they know Christ has done it all. When he cried out, cried out, it is finished on Calvary's cross, that was telling the world that he had done everything necessary to save sinners completely and forever. The work of redemption is finished. This is important to share with Catholics because they believe the work of redemption continues on their altars in the sacrifice of the Eucharist. And so, number four, we need to give the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is eternal, everlasting life for all those who repent and believe it. Mm. This is good news for Catholics who don't have eternal life. They only have conditional life. Mm. So keep that in mind when you're witnessing to Catholics. Those four principles we need to communicate clearly and make sure they understand them, Mm -hmm. because that's what's going to bring forth life to those who are dead in their sins. Mm Yes, and they have they have a lot to work through because I found even after I'd been saved many years, I had a lot a lot to work through as far as I think a lot of Catholics think that God is an angry, vindictive judge up in heaven and they're afraid. Um, I think there's a, an element of fear. They have to work through sacraments, works, keeping the law, purgatory, indulgences. There's so much. And, um, we had to go to Mass every single day when we were children. Uh, I think it just depends on when you lived. I had 12 years of, of Catholic school with nuns. And, and the various things that messed with my head about nuns and, and how we were treated. So there, there was a lot to work through. And I think, uh, being patient with Catholics, I think hearing things just once may not be enough for them. Um, so do you, do you find that it takes some time to break through all those various bondages? Well, it really does because I believe that indoctrination, religious indoctrination, is the most powerful tool that Mm -hmm. Satan uses to blind the minds of unbelievers. Mm -hmm. And so we have to get through that, and that's why establishing Scripture as a supreme authority is really necessary. And and there's a great verse in Acts 17.11. Paul was preaching to the Jews in the synagogues of Berea, and as he was preaching, they searched the Scriptures to find out if Paul was teaching the truth. Mm -hmm. And so this was a good principle. Paul didn't get upset. Mm-hmm. He didn't say, don't you know I'm an apostle? No, he said this was a good principle. He commended them. Mm-hmm. And so Catholics need to recognize that if an apostle was under the scrutiny of Scripture, so should your pope and your priest be under the same scrutiny. Mm-hmm. Test every man's teaching yes, abs- with the inspired Word of God. Yeah, absolutely. And I... It was sort of revelatory to me to realize that there is a lot of Phariseeism in the Catholic Church because they are relying on their own goodness. Um, And when I realized that most of the New Testament was written by a Pharisee, I found that to be very interesting. It was written by a religious man, um, you know, not someone with a testimony of, of, you know, debauchery or whatever, you know, however you want to describe that. I thought that was very, very interesting. And, And if the Catholics could just crack open that book that they've been told not to read. What a eternally life-changing thing. And I think it's heartbreaking, Mike, that pastors are not 
contending for these gospel truths. Pastors don't want to rock the boat and talk about Catholicism. In this area here, it's like Mormonism in Utah. The Catholicism here in Wisconsin is is the mission field. You know, we had the Polish and the Germans and all those coming over from Europe, and they brought their Catholicism with them. And people in this area and in the Midwest need to understand that that is their mission field. How can we get pastors to to be bold and brave and and alienate, if necessary, by talking about Catholicism from the pulpit? Well, that's why I wrote the book, Contending for the Gospel, because so many evangelicals are compromising it for the sake of unity with Mm -hmm. Rome Mm -hmm. or for the sake of gaining a larger following. And so more than ever, we need to contend for the purity and exclusivity of the gospel. There's some alarming statistics that have come out since the um, Vatican Council II's decree on ecumenism. The Pope has uh, tried to unite all the religions of the world mm-hmm. together, and I really believe that's you know, a precursor of the global religion that will one day worship the Antichrist. Mm. Uh, this Pope that we have in place now, Pope Francis, he's really accelerated this ecumenical agenda, and he's getting more and more willing partners from the evangelical church. The Manhattan Declaration in 2009 was a declaration that says we share a common faith in the gospel with Orthodox and Catholics, and 640,000 evangelicals have now signed the Manhattan Declaration. And so it's really um, going against Scripture because we know that we're not to be unequally yoked. Paul made that clear in 2 Corinthians six fourteen to 16 Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? What portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And so they're de- deliberately disobeying Paul's exhortation in Second Corinthians 6. We need to call them to account. And we write letters, emails, we call evangelicals that have signed these accords, and we've met with them, pleaded with them to take their name off wow. because you're confusing the evangelical church. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, we haven't had too many good results. Hmm. Well, at least you're trying to hold them accountable. To, you know, to That's truth. right. Yeah. And, and the body of Christ needs to do that. We need to stand up and make our voices known point people to the authority of Scripture. Mm -hmm. Amen. Wasn't there some document, I'm thinking back in the earlier mid-90s, that kind of got the ball rolling, but I'm drawing a blank. Yeah, it was Evangelicals and Catholics together. Chuck Colson was the co-signer with Richard John Newhouse. Chuck Colson was married to a Catholic, and so I think he was influenced um, that the Catholic Church was indeed the body of Christ, mm-hmm. and we need to join hands with it. Wow. And we are staring in the face of a global religion in these last days, and you have to, the Catholics and the denominational Protestants have to come together to be part of that. I think this was a, a natural thing. It is It is heartbreaking, though. Um, and, I, you know, today's Pope, that's an interesting story for me because I never understood why the one Pope was set aside and another Pope was added before the one had passed away, and now I see him as really largely just a politician. Uh, what's your take on this pope as far as his politics goes? 
Well, he is a politician. A lot of people don't realize he's not only the head of the Roman Catholic Church, which is made up of 1.3 billion Roman Catholics, but he's also the head of state of the Vatican, which is a sovereign nation. Mm. And so that's why you've got ambassadors coming to meet with him, because he is the sovereign leader of Vatican. And so together we see that we're going to be part of a global government and a global religion and also a global currency. All this is coming into play. And unfortunately, evangelicals that join hands with the Catholic Church are aiding and abetting the Pope's ecumenical movement. Mm -hmm. He's a Marxist. He's Mm -hmm. um, trying to bring all people together politically as well as spiritually. Wow. Yes. And every time he says something politically, I just, I really scratch my head. I don't know what Catholics are thinking when he says these things because he is definitely a Marxist. And, and so because there was another Pope who was set aside, it makes me wonder if that was just the goal all along is to mix the politics and the religion. Um, and you know, we know, we all know that there's a plan in place and, um, you know, powers and principalities and, um, yeah, Satan knows his time is short. So very, very interesting. Um, the Orthodox Church, there's the Greek and the Russian Orthodox Church, and there's the Anglican Church. Now, these are similar but different than Catholicism, but there are an awful lot of adherents to both of those as well. Uh, Mike, what can you tell us about what, what is the Orthodox Church? What is Anglicanism? Yeah, they're all very similar to Catholicism. They all have priests continuing the work of redemption on altars. And so... That in itself shows that they have a false gospel. Mm -hmm. More than ever, I think we need to show people what Jesus meant when he cried out, it is finished. Mm -hmm. The work of redemption is done. And when you trust in Christ alone, you can have your sins completely forgiven. My favorite verse is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And so by faith, Christ can take all of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, all of our punishment, and it was nailed to the cross. The eternal sin debt was paid in full, and then in return, Christ gives us His righteousness that He earned as being a sinless person who obeyed the law perfectly. And so the two things that keep anyone out of heaven, they have an eternal sin debt that must be paid, and they need perfect righteousness. Christ provided both of those, and he cried out, it is finished. So that's why we need to point people to Christ alone. In other words, we need to share with them that they need to come to the cross with empty hands of faith, bringing nothing but their sins. They must leave everything else behind. And I think a good example of this, Mary, is the Apostle Paul. You see his resume in Philippians 3. If anybody had reason to boast in what he was doing, it was Paul. But in the end, he exchanged his religion for a relationship with Mm -hmm. Christ, not trusting his righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. So that's a great passage to take Catholics to Mm -hmm. because ultimately they must do the same thing Paul did, exchange their religion for a relationship with Christ. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we certainly uh, need to be in prayer for our Catholic friends and family uh, that they will come to the knowledge of the truth. And 
Mike, my understanding about the Orthodox Church is it's Catholicism without Rome or without the Pope? That's right. Okay. All right. We met with uh, many different Greek Orthodox on our trip through Europe and Asia, walking in the footsteps of Paul, and I felt like I was talking to Catholics. They mm. have the same works, righteousness, salvation, and we kept calling them to repentance. I remember asking one tour guide, how does a Greek Orthodox get to heaven? And she went on for three and a half minutes talking about everything they must do. And when she was finished, she never mentioned the name of Christ. I said, well, what about Jesus? She said, oh, well, we worship him too. Hmm. It was an an afterthought. Wow. That's an interesting thing to say. I know Putin is uh, Russian Orthodox, and he considers, you know... um, Kiev and that area as the center or the birthplace of the Russian Orthodox Church. And so some of the politics over there really does have to do with that. Um, and people don't realize that. We're listening to secular news. But, but Putin considers that Ukraine area uh, the birthplace of his faith. So we have to consider some of that when we're watching um, the headlines of the day. Also, Anglicanism, Mike, it seems like um, they're sort of on a youth kick over there. Prince uh, King Charles, excuse me, not Prince. King Charles is the head of the Anglican Church. It, too, is um, Catholic in nature without the Pope, and Episcopalianism is an American version of Anglicanism. Um, and also then the Alpha Course. Now, that came, that started in the Anglican Church. Um, and when you read the course, the Alpha Course, which is still around, it's still in churches, it is Catholicism. Here's another back door. Are you familiar with the Alpha Course? Oh, very much so. Yeah. It's another ecumenical movement to unite all professing Christians together. Hmm. Yeah, it's really amazing when the rapture occurs, the church is in heaven, but you've got all these professing Christians that are still going to be here, and they will be united with the non-Christian religions to form hmm. a global religion. Hmm. So more than ever, we need to warn people the time is near. The signs that we see are precursors to the rapture of the church, and we need to be ready to meet our Creator. I tell people he's either going to be a merciful Savior or a sin-avenging judge, but one day you will stand before him and have to give an account. Mm -hmm. Yes, amen to that. Um, There's a quote, uh, Charles Spurgeon, about the papacy. This is kind of interesting, and that kind of leads me to a question for you about Bible prophecy and Catholicism, because it's so important to uh, all of us, uh, the Blessed Hope. But Spurgeon said, Christ did not redeem his church with his blood that the Pope might come in and steal away the glory. He never came from heaven, purchased his people, that a poor sinner, a mere man, should be set upon high to be admired by all the nations. Popery is as much the masterpiece of Satan as the gospel is the masterpiece of God. What an incredible quote. And that was, what, 180 years ago, Mm. and it's just gotten progressively worse ever since then. Yes, it absolutely has. And so, you know, the the papacy, uh, I mean, the the Catholic Church considered uh, the papacy to be the seat of Antichrist. And like I was saying uh, a minute ago, you know, prophecy is so important to us. This blessed hope is, is something that we are looking forward to with all of our hearts. But I found in the Catholic Church there was never any mention of the second coming of Jesus or prophecy as we see laid out in Daniel and Revelation and other books. Does Catholicism have its own prophecy? They, they have some, I, I believe they have some teachings about the, Jesus coming back or the last days. Well, yeah, in fact, the Catholic Church is all millennial, 
Hmm. which is why many of the Reformed evangelicals hold to that view. They did not change the view on eschatology. They just took it into their salvation experience. But the Catholic Church believes Jesus will not return again until the whole church has, until the whole world has become Roman Catholic. And so that's why you see the ecumenical movement, because they're pushing forward the ecumenical agenda so that Christ will return. It's like dominion. So, Go ahead. Pope Francis has really pushed this at a very rapid pace, and everything he does has to do with the global government through, you know, the warnings of climate change and also the, the spiritual unification of all people mm-hmm. under the power and the papacy. Well, strong delusion is headed our way on planet Earth, and we've already seen the beginning of that. Um, what did, I guess, you know, 506 years later, as we talk about Reformation Day coming up and the, and the Reformation itself, so many great things came out of it, uh, of course, reestablishing the Word of God as the supreme authority for life and faith, uh, Jesus Christ as the only head of the church, um, rejecting the Pope as the head of the church. Is there is there something that was left undone? Because when I look at Lutheranism, um and people relying on Lutheranism now for their salvation through um, sacraments. I don't know, good works necessarily, but there's a consubstantiation versus transubstantiation. How do you feel about the Lutheran Church? It just feels like um, uh, my husband's, uh, my father-in-law was a Lutheran preacher for 60 years, uh, and it surprised me how similar it was. What is your What is your thoughts on the Lutheran Church? Well, it's really hard to understand how Luther could be so right on justification by mm-hmm. faith alone, but yet he still elevated the sacrament of baptism so high. Mm-hmm. And also, he also, rather than reject transubstantiation completely, he compromised and came up with consubstantiation, mm-hmm. whereby it's not the physical presence of Christ, but only the spiritual presence of Christ. So, again... The Reformers started the Reformation, but they didn't finish it. It's still going on. And more than ever, we need to recognize that uh, the work of redemption is finished. There's no more sacrifices for sin. Mm -hmm. Wow, Mary, if people would just read Hebrews 9 and 10, by one offering he has made perfect forever. There are no more offerings for sin, because by one offering he canceled the eternal sin debt. Mm -hmm. And so... We need to focus on what the Bible says, and if it goes against our religious traditions, we need to be corrected. Mm-hmm. The scriptures reprove any errors, and then they need to be corrected by the supreme authority of God's Word. That's the only hope we have as we witness to anybody that is a professing Christian. We actually have a gospel track entitled, True Faith or False Hope, How Can I Be Sure?, and it's because of all the professing Christians who have never been born again. Mm. We need to warn them that um, they need to come out of these false systems that mm-hmm. don't preach the true, exclusive gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm. Amen. And also, I'd encourage people to do their homework on people like Augustine and Constantine and, and what what they did, um, especially Augustine, about prophecy and amillennialism, um, what a tremendous amount of damage he did. Um, now, your, your track, True Faith or False Hope, how can people get a hold of that? Well, they can go to our website, proclaimingthegospel.org, 
And also, I would encourage them to get a copy of my book, Preparing for Eternity, because more than ever, we really need to place that in the hands of Catholics, but also it will equip your listeners to be effective Mm -hmm. to witness to Roman Catholics. It starts with the supreme authority for truth in the first chapter and goes through the purity and exclusivity of the gospel. And Mary is also available in audible format now, so people can redeem the time by listening to the book. And Contending for the Gospel is another book that I've written that's also in audible form. So our website, proclaimingthegospel.org, gives you the opportunity to look at the different resources Mm -hmm. we have. And we also have a phone number that we man 24-7. It's 817-379-5300. And we're here to equip the body of Christ to stand for the truth, as you are doing, but also to be effective witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. More than ever, with the end drawing near, we need to be faithful to the Great Commission, Mm -hmm. because many are going to be left behind when the gospel is taken to heaven, the church is raptured, there will be no more witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, and everything that we've talked about, we've talked about Catholicism primarily here. Um, there are other denominations as well where people are lost. They're, they're sitting there week after week thinking that whatever it is they're doing is adding to their, uh, you know, their salvation or adding to uh, having an in with God. You know, I did my obligation. I did what I was supposed to do. I thought I was supposed to do. Um, but they don't have that relationship, that right relationship. They haven't been reconciled. Um, to God through Jesus Christ. There is only one mediator, and I know I, I also wanted to get with you about the Mary sightings. There haven't been too many of those lately, but I know for a while there, not too long ago, there was a lot of uh, sightings of Mary, and she was speaking. I'm expecting more of those uh, as the days wind down. Have you heard of anything? We only have a minute or so left. Well, sure, that's one of Satan's tools to unite the world mm-hmm. together. He mm-hmm. uses apparitions of Mary. Muslims are flocking to apparition sites because they esteem Mary as the most revered woman who's ever lived. So Satan will use this for his purpose of Mm -hmm. uniting the world together under one world religion. So we need to test the spirits, as John wrote in 1 John 4.1. And how do we do that? We listen to what the apparition says. If it goes against the authority Mm -hmm. of God's word, we reject it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes, and even Islam believes in Mary, so there's a tremendous amount of potential deception there, too. Mike Jandron, thank you so much. Uh, always a great hour um, just contending for the faith and understanding the finer points of the differences between Catholicism, Protestantism, Reformation Day, October 31st. Do your homework on such things on church history. I think it's a very valuable thing. So proclaimingthegospel.org, they want to equip and encourage you. Uh, in any way they can as you seek to um, spread the truth uh, to our family members and our friends. So thank you so much, Mike. Friday, Pete Garcia is with us tomorrow, and we're going to talk about a lot of things pertaining to the end of the age, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Next week is Q Drive, so uh, tune in for that as well. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Have a great day.